Welcome to the Archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. In this program, we visit with two environmental activists from Peru. I met with them in Lima, Peru on February 5th of 1998. Dennis Del Castillo holds a PhD from Mississippi State University in soil science and described the contemporary environmental problems in the Peruvian Amazon basin. We then spoke with Mercedes Lu, a scientific technician who discussed problems resulting from copper mining that occurs along the coast of southern Peru. We begin our conversation with Dennis Del Castillo. Many misconceptions in the past about the Amazon, I believe the people misunderstood the situation. For example, about 30 or 40 years ago, everybody believed that the Amazon is just a, a green halo, it's a paradise that was so easy to grow everything. So every, a lot of people believed that that was just a matter of going and extract, exploit whatever it's over there. But that's not the case. The Amazon region is a very fragile region, has high precipitation, high temperature, poor soils, and a, a few people knew about that. So the people who didn't, li who, people who didn't live in the Amazon believed that everything was easy over there and it's a matter of extraction. So what has happened in the past 30 to 40 years? That I believe people start understanding better the, the potential and the limitations. The science, there were many missions, program missions, and also foreign universities working in the Amazon. They understood very well. Right now, I believe the matter is much better understood about what's, what are the limitations of the Amazon. For example, if you cut the forest, you are leaving the soil completely under the action of the high precipitation and high temperature. So you are depleting all the better soil the environment, the biodiversity. And at the end, we are just having land without any, with very little potential for the future. Why are people choosing to cut the forest? Okay, there are two perceptions. First, let's see if uh, looking from the point of view of a, of a big company, of course they want to cut the forest because they want to sell that as a wood, and that's an economic source. And looking for a for a farmer who lives in the forest. They cut the forest because they want to plant crops so they can feed their families. That's very simplistic analysis, but that, to me, that's the most important thing. And a few people understand the potential and, and the damage they are doing right now. For example, if I were a farmer living in the forest, I will cut the forest because I need to feed my family. But that's looking only in a short-term perspective. A few people have the, the understanding of the economic uh, account that they can see in terms of medium and long-term potential. That's the problem. Right now, I believe what we have to do is provide alternatives to people who are living in the forest so they can afford to wait a little bit more. 
not just to think in terms of one year or two years to feed their family, but also looking in the long term. In that way, they can feed their family, they can have economic resources, at the same time, they can protect the environment. How do they feed the family? How do they get the, the, um, the economic system going? Uh, talking about feeding their family at the economic, and the economic system going, to me, those are two different issues. Because many people in the forest, they try to feed their family, but they are not in the economic change, how the world is working right now. What they do is, of course, they need a little, they need at least one hectare of, of land where they can plant their cassava, where they can plant their corn, they can plant their beans. So they, they feed their family in that way. A hectare is how big in they acres? One, one acre, one acre. See, one acre means half of an acre. Like hectare. So that's the way they feed their family. I'm talking about small farmers, very uh, slash and burn farmers. That's the way they live. If we provide economic alternatives, of course, that's not going to be the only way to feed their family. They can have a wide range of alternatives. I believe that's the way that we have to go. That's the way that governments, institutions, ONGs have to go in that way, trying to provide different alternatives, but at the same time provide a medium and long term possibilities. Otherwise, it's very difficult. ONGs are non-governmental organizations. That's correct. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Because to me, one of the most economic alternatives is the reforestation. A tree. If we plant that, for example, I'm talking about a very specific tree in the Amazon. If you plant a tornillo tree, it takes about 20 years. But after 20 years, you have at least $1,000 per tree. In one hectare, you plant a hundred. That means a hundred thousand dollars. That's, I wish I could have that retirement. <laughs> really, that's a lot of money. But that means that you have to plant ahead. You cannot live year by year. So wouldn't those trees be cut in 20 years? The, that's the thing. It's, we have to understand that the trees is a good economic solution, but in the long term, you have to have other alternative how to how a farmer can live and during 20 years. It's not a matter that just it's not a silver bullet that is going to solve the problem. That's we have to have different solutions at the same time working together, because during 20 years, of course, a farmer is not going to eat trees. They have to eat uh, crops. Use better soils, use better soil, no, um, manage better those soils, uh, produce, produce food at the same time giving the time to the trees to be in good shape after 20 years. We're talking with Dr. Dennis Del Castillo, a soil scientist, about issues of biodiversity in the Peruvian Amazon basin. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. I mentioned before that deforestation is a problem of the misunderstanding of the Amazon region. About biodiversity also, I believe it's a misunderstanding of the potential of the Amazon uh, region. Because I believe there are very few people who know what is the potential of those new plants and new animals, or animals and plants that were not studied yet as deep as it is needed because there are many, many 
medicinal plants in the Amazon that is the, the science doesn't know it yet. I can list many, many examples of plants that were from the Amazon. For example, we have what plant cure better the, the malaria? It's a plant from the Amazon. It's chinchona called or quinina. It came from the Amazon. It, said, it solved the problem uh, about 100 years ago that was the best medicine, not only in Peru, but all over the world. But of course, after that, the science and chemists developed a synthetic medicine, but that was the origin, the Amazon. And I'm talking about rubber, what's a big industry, industry that comes from the Amazon. Uh, cocoa, from the Amazons. And there are many, many other plants that it's, the time is very short to mention. What's important at this moment is to preserve those, those plants and those animals. The science can identify other potentials. What happened with the deforestation? We are just destroying that potential. And the science doesn't know anything about that yet. We are not giving the time to the science to, to develop new technologies. That's why we have to be very concerned. It's not a matter of just defending the people from the Amazon, or just uh, looking solution to protect the environment, the Amazon. It's a matter of the whole humanity, because the benefits that we can have from the Amazon is going to benefit everyone. What is the condition of the native peoples who live in the Amazon basin? Uh, let's talk about, there are, when we are talking about conditions, we have to be very clear about our perceptions. Looking from the perception of the U.S. citizens, if I were living in California, very close to the beach, having a nice ice cream and so on, I would say those guys living in the Amazon, they are miserable. They are living very bad. But, but from their perception, for, they, from their perception, when they live the way they lived uh, they are forever, happy. they are forever and they are living happy. They are, I'm telling you that because I had that opportunity to live as an Amazon, as an Amazonian indigenous because most of my childhood and until I was 25, I was living in the Amazon. I will say frankly, I had the best childhood and my best part of, until I was 25 years old, the happiest part of my life was living over there. Tell us uh, about your childhood. <laughs> where, where did you live? I was born and lived in the Wajaga Valley. The Wajaga Valley is the most a well-known place where people grow coca. When I was a young boy, that was so nice, so quiet, and so peaceful that place because no, uh, there was no, there was no coca plantation, and the biodiversity was so great. I can remember still to go to the river and catch with my hands some fishes. What I, I what I want to do, I tell you one dream that I have, that I have. I wish. A lot of people can understand better the situation. I wish that most indigenous people can get higher education because as much higher education those people have from the Amazon who understand very well the problem, they can also teach, not teach, but also give that knowledge to other people who doesn't have the opportunity to live in the Amazon. As much as we provide that knowledge of the Amazon, those potential, I believe people will understand and try to find a solution. But if there is not, if that knowledge is not disseminated, I, I, I understand people who say, no, of course, they don't care. But if people know that, they will care more. That's, that's why I believe the education is one of the biggest 
issues that we have to deal with and give the opportunity to those guys who know well the, the jungle and the Amazon forest to to provide, to disseminate that knowledge for the people with, with political decisions. Dennis, what about oil exploration in the Amazon basin? For to me, the masses, we are not aware how the oil companies are damaging the environment in the Amazon forest, the Amazon basin, the Amazon region. Is it the same issue of deforestation? It's even worse because deforestation is a relatively slow process. The damage that the oil companies are doing is a very catastrophic, a very fast, because there are many places, there are in many places there were leaks of oil in the Amazon. When the oil goes to the soil, it will destroy the soil. We have to wait many, many years until that soil, all that oil gets exceeded from the soil. But also, all that oil goes to the rivers, where we have a fantastic biodiversity, fantastic hydro biodiversity in the, in the rivers. So that environment is also destroyed. And that's very damaging. Well, Dennis Del Castillo, I want to thank you for joining us on Radio Curious. Mm -hmm. And again, before we close, I'd like to ask you uh, to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately. Yes, I read almost every day one book and I keep it in, next to, to my almohada, my pillow. That book is called The Losing Ground. The Losing Ground. That book was, writ was written about 30 years ago. Talks about many issues about environment and economic development. And that book still is updated. The and concepts are updated. Dennis Del Castillo, thank you for joining us on Radio uh, Curious. It's my pleasure. Anytime. This is Radio Curious. After speaking with Dennis Del Castillo, I met with Mercedes Liu, who has been investigating problems of copper mining in southern Peru. She tells us about a coal and natural gas power plant that is being built in Ilo, Peru. Uh, the company Enersur is planning to build a coal and natural gas power plant 10 kilometers south of the city of Ilo. This uh, plant will be working since next year and it's uh, basically will be starting operating with coal. It's planned to start working with natural gas after the year 2000. What are they going to use the, the power for? Uh, Ilo is a, a city that is almost surrounded by mine, mining companies. The biggest one is uh, Southern Peru Limited. Um, Southern Peru has a smelter about uh, 15 kilometers north from the city of Ilo and uh, is a very um, big source of uh, pollution by uh, sulfur because they produce about, about 1,600, more than 1,600 uh, tons a day of SO2. Sulfur. sulfur dioxide. Sulfur dioxide, yes. 
And this power plant that will be located 10 kilometers south of the city will increase the pollution already um, caused by uh, Southern Pro Limited. This coal plant will provide energy, almost all of it, to Southern. So that's the reason why the coal plant is built in Ilo. And then what will happen to the community of Ilo if this power plant is built? What is the worry? The, the worry is the uh, management of the coal itself. They're going to increase the amounts of sulfur dioxide. Um, the company has presented last week the environmental impact assessment in the public audience. And there were several um, gaps, uh, there were lack of, lacks of information, very serious because um, they, are going, they don't know really what they're going to do with the ashes of the coal. They say they're going to place them in an open place without the um, proper provisions to um, prevent uh, contamination by that source. They say uh, they, they, they didn't include information about how much sulfur dioxide will be uh, em emitted into the air. Em emitted into the air. Um, they say they're going to capture some parts of the ashes, but they, there are several lacks of information, like amounts, how much. They say that they're going to bring the coal from Indonesia. They say they're going to bring EnviroCoal, which is I, I don't know if, the, if that is true, but what they told to the communities are going to bring the coal from Colombia, so there are two stories. And on the other hand, um, I have, recently I read in the newspapers that the coal from Colombia has no taxes. So it is very, very prob probably that the company will bring the coal from Colombia instead of Indonesia. So the coal from Indonesia was very good for the document of the EIA, but will very likely the company will bring the coal from Colombia, which is uh, worse, will ha has more sulfur. Are there problems with the um, smelter plants uh, of, the co of the copper? Yes. Is that, what are those problems? There are several problems they have, uh, as, as I said a little time ago, they produce enormous amounts of sulfur dioxide. No, the amount I, what I meant more was the um, uh, residue of refining yes. the copper. Yes. Not so much of the, the heat that's caused to produce it, but once it's, once it's produced. Um, how do you say the um, solid wastes into the ocean? The, um, they throw directly from the smelter all the solid waste right into the ocean, which is uh, terrible. I have visited the place two, twice, and I have never seen ever in my life such panorama. It's terrible. All the sea is, um, how do you say, charcoal color, like gray. There are no, the fishermen cannot fish anymore. The people living in the in the city cannot uh, use a beach because it's almost SP, uh, Southern's property. Um, 
they have problems already with the with with the, the municipality because of the fumes and all this pollution in the ocean. So what is being done about this? Uh, the community uh, did a plaintiff in Texas. Um, the, the committee is the community. The community of Elo of Elo brought a lawsuit in Texas. Yes. Uh, after uh, about, I think it was one year or so of the um, these uh, legal procedures, the uh, judge or the authorities in Texas said that um, that was a fatal non-convenience. Right. It was the not. It was not the best place to bring the lawsuit. Yes. They said it should be brought in Peru. Yes, they said it should be brought in Peru, but the problem here is that uh, there is no certainty of the, um, how do say, that, that, that these kinds of lawsuits in Peru will have success, uh, will succeed because Southern is the biggest contributor to the government, to the state. Is with taxes, so law will probably will not be in the will not be balanced. So it will be um, on the side of, of Southern. I guess that's the, for sure. If that happens, and. Uh, Southern Peru Copper Corporation is allowed to continue uh, doing what they're doing. What kind of problems do you foresee? Well, uh, the company has met several times with a community, with a community, and they have offered uh, transparency with information, and um, they are. I think they they are willing to um, have better relations with with the community, but um, it's very symptomatic that after this uh, public audience for the coal plant, there has not been there has not been enough information. For so, in first place. The major of ILO stand up in the middle of a public audience and said, why are you doing this public audience here in Lima and not in ILO? The community is based in ILO and the, the, the ones that will be affected will be in ILO. So there is not a correct administration of justice here. Who made the decision that it would be in Lima instead of ILO? Well, it's established by the regulations of the Ministry of Energy and Mines. And they're based in Lima. They are based in Lima, and the audiences are done inside the, minist the Ministry of Energy and Mines. So that's complying with the law. So the problem is that the people who live in Ilo cannot afford to come to Lima. Mm -hmm. How far away is that? It's about 1,200 something kilometers south of Lima. And it a uh, ticket, an air ticket, costs about $180. So it's a lot 
of money. It's very people. expensive. It's, it's too much expensive. What, how do you see this problem will be resolved? Um, if, I, if, if we see the global picture of environmental um, administration here in, 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 in a global view, in the context that, that we have an authority, an environmental authority called the Consejo Nacional del Ambiente, the environmental, National Environmental Council, um, that we are uh, having, a, we're, we're part of this globalization of information and that the people is having a, big, a bigger awareness, environmental awareness. I think that the company and the community will have to dialogue a lot more and find uh, balance. I think that the, the company is very much concerned about the awareness of this case abroad. They are very much concerned about what their investors and owners think about what they are doing here in Peru. I'm talking with Mercedes Liu, who works in Lima, Peru, with the Environmental Law Alliance worldwide. In a conversation recorded in Lima, Peru, you're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. I should add the fact that, there, that the coal plant will uh, pour water, which will be 10 degrees hotter than the, in the ocean, in, in the ocean. On the other hand, there, there is some part of the people in ILO that wants to have a coal plant in it. And there's a struggle. For employment. For employment. So that's, that's, that's the question. The, the, the plant will be done. People want to work. There, there are no, no jobs. There is a high rate of unemployment. And well, Mercedes Lou, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I like to ask, I want to ask you the question that I like to ask everybody. And that is, could you tell us of an interesting book that you've read lately? Lately? Interesting book? Um, about environment or just an interesting book? Whatever comes to mind. Um, well, this is a Peruvian writer. I recommend very much. This is Nicolás Yerobi, Los Años Inmóviles. The, um, how do you say? Inmóvil. The years that don't move? Yes. And short stories. There's there short stories, memories of, uh, of this writer. He's an excellent play and theater um, writer. Very good. Mercedes Lou, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Dennis Del Castillo holds a PhD from Mississippi State University in soil science and discussed the environmental problems in the Peruvian Amazon basin. The book that he recommends is The Losing Ground by Eric Eckholm. Mercedes Lou is a scientific technician who reviewed the problems caused by copper mining that occurs along the southern coast of Peru. 
The book that she recommends is Los Años Inmóviles, or The Immovable Years, by Nicholas Irove, a Peruvian writer. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.